0: Thanks again for being with us this morning. If we haven't met, my name's Corey, and I have the honor and privilege of being lead pastor here at GFC. And if this is your first time joining us or you haven't been with us in a while, you're jumping into what we just started in this series that we're calling Hope Has a Name. And this is not just the series that we're in right at this moment. It's the kind of theme for the year. So we're going to be talking about this idea of hope and kind of walking through what that means for us as followers of Jesus and how we share that hope with other people throughout the year And our home text for that is going to be the book of Luke. And so we're not going to take the book of Luke and go verse by verse every single week, but we're going to use it, like I said, as kind of a home base. Every once in a while, we'll come back and we will go a little bit verse by verse through the book of Luke. Um, And Pastor Andrew did a great job last week of setting that up and helping us understand why Luke wrote that book and who Luke was. And so if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back. You can listen to that anywhere you get your podcasts. If you just search for our church, you'll find it. Um, Or you can go to our YouTube page and watch it there as well and kind of get caught up and set up. And so today we're going to take a little bit of a jump, because we're not going to go immediately back through the Christmas story, because we just did the Christmas story, and at the very beginning of Luke is the Christmas story. So we're going to skip that, and we're going to move forward just a little bit uh, into Jesus' life a little bit after he was born. But we're going to still find him kind of as an adolescent. But before we get there, here's how I want to start off today's conversation, okay? With this question. If Mary and Joseph wrote a parenting book, would you buy it? If Mary and, Now, some of you who know the story are laughing a little bit, right? Because you know where we're going with this. But here's, as I process this and as I studied for this week, I, I thought there was two different ways you can kind of go with this question, at least in my mind. The first person might say, absolutely. I would definitely buy a book by Mary and Joseph about parenting because God gave them his son. God knew them. He knew everyone on the planet at that moment and decided to give Mary and Joseph his son. So, That shows a good bit of confidence, right, from God that Mary and Joseph would do a good job with Jesus. So, okay, they might know a little bit about parenting. Now, here's the way the my brain usually goes. And maybe this isn't good, but maybe this is just how I thought about it. Mary and Joseph started off with a perfect child. Now, we don't know what the other siblings were were like. We know a little bit about James. He wrote a book in the Bible as well. But we don't know about other siblings, right? But here's what they never had to deal with with Jesus, right? Jesus, go put on your sandals. No, right? They never had to deal with Jesus, don't touch that. And Jesus just looks them dead in the eye and just goes like this, right? Until they get closer and closer and closer. Jesus didn't have to do that. And you, or they didn't have to do that with Jesus. He was sinless. And so what I think about when I think about why you read parenting books is you usually read parenting books when you're going to be a first-time parent, Because you want to know what to do, what not to do, what to buy, what not to buy, what works, right? You think about that. And then usually, like, later you read parenting books because maybe you've got a situation with one child and you've got to kind of figure out how to deal with that situation. And you're hoping that you get some wisdom from someone else that has gone through that same situation. So you pick up that book and you read it. And so there's two different ways you can kind of think about this. But here's what we're going to see, I think from the story today. First of all, if you're a parent, you're going to breathe a sigh of relief if you've never read this story before, because you're going to realize even Jesus's parents weren't perfect. I think also if you're walking through a situation that feels maybe a little bit hopeless, you're going to walk away from this situation feeling better. I think just in general, just understanding life doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go, and yet there's an answer, and there's a way that we can walk through that, and things do get better. And so here's where we're going to dive in today. We're going to be in Luke 2, but we're going to pick up uh, in verse 41 is where we're going to start. And as always, you can follow along uh, using your own Bible, using your tablet or your phone. If you'd like to, you can scan that QR code. It's also the same one that's on the back of the Next Steps card, and you will get all the notes um, and verses and everything from our website. You can also submit a prayer request or a question uh, if you would like. So in Luke chapter 2, starting verses 41 and 42, this is what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival festival as usual. Verses 43 and 44. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Okay, so let's just take a time out and kind of understand the situation, right? So it tells us they traveled to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. This is kind of like you guys or me going to the same vacation spot every year, right? Maybe you go to the same beach. Maybe you've got the same place you stay or the same location or whatever. Like you, sometimes you have that with families. You just plan to go to the same place all the time and you plan your whole year around that trip. And you do it with friends. You do it with family. This was something they did all the time. And so they would plan their schedule around going to Jerusalem for Passover and they would celebrate with the friends and family. It was, it was kind of cool because they were going to the bigger city, right? It was fun and it was a good time. And they would travel with a group of people for multiple reasons, right? You guys know you go on a road trip. It's more fun with multiple people. You can just pass the time more. There's more conversation to be had. Back in these days, it was also safer, right? So if you were traveling on a road, we know there's stories from Scripture where traveling could be kind of dangerous back then. People would show up and want to rob you. So if you're, if you're in a big group of people, someone tries to rob you, they have to deal with many more people, right? So it was a, it was a bit of safety, But here's the interesting thing about the way that they would travel is they would kind of make this caravan and the women and children would move at the front. They would kind of lead the group and the men would stay at the back. Now, here's the interesting thing about Jesus at this moment. Jesus is 12. He's almost 13. And in Jewish culture, you turn 13. You go through bar mitzvah. And that's the opportunity where you become a man or you become responsible for your own choices. This is a unique time for him because this is kind of like Jesus is in the middle of would he be at the front or would he be in the back? So here's what happens maybe, right? They start on the way. Mary takes her spot in the front of the group. Joseph takes his spot at the back of the group. Mary doesn't see Jesus. She's like, oh, maybe he's with Joseph. This would have been kind of the equivalent of moving up from the kid's table at a holiday, right? You spend Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, like you're at the kid's table for a while, and then all of a sudden you get to bump up. So in Mary's mind, she's thinking maybe Jesus is with Joseph. He's getting the opportunity now because he's almost a man to travel with the men. If Joseph's in the back, he's thinking, oh, well, he's still traveling with Mary up at the front. That's one of the things you think about with this. It's not like Mary and Joseph went hand in hand the whole way this, fir- this first day, and were just like, I don't know where Jesus is, right? There's a logical reason that they would have been separated and not necessarily thought about where he would be. And so they travel this whole first day and realize he's not there. Now, here's where I really wish Luke would have done some investigative reporting. What was that conversation like at the end of the day, right? Well, he wasn't with you? No, he's not with you. Well, like, what would you say if you're Joseph? If I'm there, I'm going to be like, listen, Mary, he created the whole place. I think he knows the way home, right? We'll figure it out. But like, that's not going to help mom in that moment. So they get, they get I wish Luke would have just like, come on, Luke, give us the juicy stuff, right? So he doesn't do that, but they, they realize he's not there. So let's keep going in the passage. Luke 2, verses 45 to 47. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Verses 49 to 50. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Verses 51 to 52. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and with all the people. So here's another question. Have you ever lost something that was valuable to you? Now, maybe you haven't lost a child. Maybe you have lost a child, right? Maybe you haven't. But I'm sure many of us in this room have lost something that was valuable to us. Could have been a piece of jewelry, right? Ring falls off or something like that. Something that you're, somebody gave you. Some, maybe you lost your phone for a while, right? We've, we've all been in that space where we, we lost something that was valuable to us. And there's that moment of realizing I have to figure this out. So here's my next question what does searching look like for you? Here's, let's just go down this list. This is as I thought about, I was like, okay, when I lose something, what do I do? So here's, I'll share kind of my layout of what happens when I lose something and you see if you can relate. Okay. Here's the first thing I do. I check the immediate area, right? You do this kind of thing, right? Like, did I, where did I put it? Is it in my pocket? Did I put my sunglasses on my head? Like, where's the thing? And if you're sitting down, like I usually think about this, like, don't Jump up and start looking because then if it's sitting on me or it's down in whatever I'm sitting on, like it could fly around the room or go somewhere else, right? Fall down deeper. So I check the couch cushions. This is usually the remote in our house, okay? We actually have like LoJack for the remotes because we have three children that want to take the remotes to other places in the house. So we have a remote and we've like pasted this thing to it. So it beeps when we try and find it. So we check around. We look at the immediate area. Okay, I can't find the immediate area. Now what's next? You retrace your steps, right? Try and figure out if you were going to walk around, where did you go? What did you do? This was a big problem for me when um, Becca and I were dating because we were long distance. So we would spend many evenings on the phone together. I don't know if you notice this about me, but when I talk, I move. And so I, what would happen is I would be on the phone and I would walk around the room, walk around the house, and I would pick something up I'd be talking, 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 and then, like, I'd put it down over here, and I'd walk away. And then I'd get off the phone and go, where's the thing that I put down? Because I wasn't paying attention, right? So I had to retrace my steps. So you look around and just see, where was I? What happens when I, you know, what what was I doing when I lost the thing I think I lost? If I can't find it after I retrace my steps, I go ask for help. Uh, I, You know, you ask someone that's around or someone that's close by. And in our house, it's always mom, right? Mom, where did I put the thing or where did it go, right? So we ask and try and see if somebody else will help us. Uh, here's the next one. Frantically look under everything, right? This is where every couch cushion, every rug, anything that's movable gets flipped over trying to find the thing. If it's valuable to you, you're going to try and... And figure it out. And here's maybe the last place you go, right? You pray. <laughs> Jesus, please let me find the phone, right? Let me figure this out. And so you just go through this process, right? And you're trying to figure out, or I'm trying to figure out, where did I put the thing that I'm looking for? This is all of some of what Mary and Joseph did for those days. By the way, did you do the math on how many days Jesus was actually gone? Five days. They took a trip away a whole day, realized he was gone. They took a day's trip back to get to Jerusalem, and then they searched for three. You imagine losing your kid for five days? I don't know which is worse, losing your kid for five days or losing someone else's kid for five days, right? I'll tell you a story in a little bit if I get there. But um, this is what they went through. They retraced their steps. They looked, I don't think they looked under couch cushions, but they looked around trying to find him, and they couldn't find him. And here's, here's the significant thing, right? And I don't think this is an accident, and I don't think it just happens on happenstance. In their hopeless state, Mary and Joseph had to seek Jesus. I don't know. Like, I thought about this, and I think this might be true. I don't know that there was a more hopeless time for Mary than searching for Jesus other than seeing him on the cross. Like, just think about that for a minute. You lost your kid but you lost the kid that God gave you to take care of. And after like four days of searching, not knowing where he is, like the angels that came to Mary and Joseph when they said they were going to have Jesus, right? They said he will be named Jesus because he will save their their people from their sins. You get four days into looking and what do you start to think? Maybe he's gone. If he's gone, what goes with him? the opportunity for him to save his people from their sins. So now if you, that's where my brain would go. I've lost the ability for my people to have their sins forgiven. That's where your brain could logically go after all of this time. And in their hopelessness, what did they have to do? Seek Jesus. I don't think that's an accident. I think that's a rule for us too. That when there's a hopeless time, That we should be focused on finding where Jesus is and what he would have for us in that moment. Because here's another thing I know to be true, right? Knowing where to look makes all the difference when something is lost. This is why if maybe you lose something once or you don't know where something was, you kind of train yourself to put it back in the same place all the time right this tool always goes here so when i need that tool that's where it is this is where i always plug in my phone so that it charges and i know where it is right the, you think through those things so that when you need something you know where it is and you don't feel the hopelessness of oh no where did i put it and i think the same thing is true that knowing where to find hope makes all the difference when life feels hopeless knowing where to find that hope makes all the difference when life Feels hopeless. Okay, I'll tell you my story. Okay, I've never lost one of my kids, but I got real close to losing a couple of youth group students once. Wasn't my fault though. Okay, I'll just tell you the story and then we'll go there. Okay, here's what happened. We were on a trip, spring retreat. Uh, I don't know, six or seven years ago, some some amount of time. And we decided we were going to take a group of kids on a hike. And so we went on a hike, and it was a, very, it was a very easy hike. It wasn't bad. It was just up into one of the state parks that was there. And we had a group of kids with us, and we had some younger kids with us, and we had some older kids with us. And so we had multiple adults with us. We had, it was a good ratio of students to kids, all this stuff, right? And I knew the kids to keep an eye on, so we kept an eye on them. We made sure they were always with us and everything. But there were a couple of girls. They were at least sophomores or juniors in high school. So old enough to know stay with the group, right? And they weren't the type of kids that I was ever really worried about them doing something silly. Well, maybe I guess I should have been. So we're just tracking along, and we're walking, and kind of keeping an eye on people, and we get back to the vans, and not unlike almost what happened to Mary and Joseph. Like, you get back to the place where you're like, okay, everybody's here, right? And those two are gone. And even my immediate reaction was, oh, they must be five minutes behind us. Like, they're fine. They're together. They're good friends. I trust them. Like, blah, blah, blah. Nope. We wait, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. They never come back. So now i got to figure this out. So I call some people back at the camp, like other adults, and I say, can you grab your van and can you drive down here and try and help us find them? So we kind of wait for a little while. They actually get there. I take the students back, and it's probably like 4 o'clock in the afternoon in March. So it's not like dark yet, but you're getting to the point where you're running out of daylight. It's not the morning where you've got all day. So I take my crew back, and the thing that's going through my brain, right, is now I have to call parents and say, we don't know where your children are, right? This is why I asked the question, worse to lose your kid or somebody else's kid? I'm not sure. So anyway, we... We, I drive the students back that were in my van. We had another group of adults that are there just looking for them. Luckily, as we're coming back, I was literally driving to the ranger station to let them know what was going on. As we're crossing paths, the other van is like honking and waving at us. They came back and they found them. So they, we get back to the camp and I'm like, what were you doing? And they were like, well, we just decided to go over this way and then we got too far behind you and we came down to the bottom of the trail and we went the wrong way. Like, okay, cool. This is great. So I still get home, right? And I have to go have a conversation with parents because I don't want them getting home and being like, by the way, we were lost. And not hearing that from me, the person that was in charge. And so we, I go and I have a conversation with the parents. And so th- it, was, it was a situation where I should have been more aware, right? But they decided to do something that's different. But in that moment, right, there was that hopelessness of what am I going to do if I have to call somebody, And tell them I lost their kids. And it was a state park. It was like it wasn't really a place that seemed dangerous. But your mind starts to go to some dangerous places. So we can get into these situations, right? We felt what it means to be hopeless. Or we feel what it means to be in a situation where we can't find what we think we need. And knowing where to find that hope makes all the difference. And I'll tell you the truth. I was praying at that moment. Like I wanted to find them. I wanted them to be okay. I wanted them to be good to go. But one of the things I was frustrated with with them was the decisions they made, right? Why did you decide to do this? Why did you make that choice to go away from the group and to cause me and others to have to worry about this? And interestingly enough, Mary has some of the same response to Jesus, right? So going back to verse 48, it says this, His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother, said to him, Why have you done this to us? It's an interesting question, isn't it? She doesn't ask, why are you here? She doesn't even ask, why did you stay? She just says, why did you do this to us? I think we've all asked God that question. Like, why did you allow this to happen? Why did this play out this way? Why would you do this instead of that? And when we ask that question I think it's massively comforting to look at and look and see that Jesus's mother asked him the same question. That he she would look at him and go, "I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't get it. Why would this be the choice that you're making?" And here's something that I want us to understand about Jesus that we see through scriptures and I'm going to show you. Our expectations don't dictate the actions of Jesus. Our expectations don't dictate the actions of Jesus. What Mary necessarily expected him to do wasn't the exact thing that he did. And other places in the Gospels will see that. And so when we see that, our expectations don't dictate the actions of Jesus. I would also just tack on to that and say, and it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus does things we don't get. If his own mother didn't understand why he was doing things at times, we're not always going to understand it. And I have two places in scripture I want to go to, also in Luke, that kind of help us understand what this meant and how we can kind of gather around this and maybe lock this into our brains too. So in Luke 19, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. Verses 3 and 4. He had tried to get a look at Jesus But he was too short to see over the crowd. Zacchaeus, I feel you. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road where Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus, in verse 6 and 7, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. By the way, I apologize to those of you who are going to have the Zacchaeus song stuck in your head all day now, right? But he, walking along, right, decides that he would reach out to the person in the crowd who they would have hated the most. Like, Zacchaeus literally got rich taking money from the people that were all around him. And Jesus goes to the one that they loathe the most and says, I want to go to dinner at your house. For Zacchaeus, this is amazing. He's excited about it. He gets down very quickly, but we see the people's response. They were displeased because he's gone to be, to the house of an notorious sinner. They thought Jesus should go to one of their houses. They thought Jesus should show up and say, let's all go hang out with the good people. And Jesus says, nope, that's not going to be the case. One of the things I think Jesus was trying to help them understand was if you can look at the person that you think is the worst person in the group and Jesus came to save that person, he came to save you too. Like someone in that crowd that wasn't grumbling or wasn't upset was thinking, would Jesus ever accept me? And when they saw him call Zacchaeus, they said, then I can follow him too. And so in that moment, even though Jesus didn't do what the people expected, he did exactly what they needed. And here's, here's the truth that we remember, but sometimes we have to remind ourselves, of, okay? We love to point out, like, Jesus came to serve and to save us. And that's absolutely true. That Jesus would come to serve us by offering his life in order to save us. That's why he came. But why did he come to do that? Because Jesus came to fulfill the will of the Father, And so anytime the will of the Father and our expectations butt heads, guess which one Jesus picks? The will of the Father every single time. And so even though we have expectations or we have an understanding or we have what we think Jesus should do, Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill the will of the Father every single time. There's one more story I want to go to to help us understand this point. Luke 7 And we're going to start in verse 36. So verses 36 and 37 say this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Verse 38. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know the kind of woman who's touching him. She's a sinner. Kind of an awkward situation, right? Like everybody's over, you're having dinner. This woman walks in. Everybody knows what this woman's job is. And you're all kind of like, oh, like, what do we do with that? And then, like, the Pharisee, whose house it is, would definitely not want her there. Not only does she just enter the home, but she sits behind Jesus. She's crying. So that's kind of like, what do you do with that? There's this woman crying there. Like, she starts to cry on his feet. She starts to wipe his feet. And all of this happens, and it's just kind of like, we're just trying to eat dinner. Like, you could feel that in the room as you're reading this. At least I could. And then the Pharisee makes a judgment on Jesus' favor with God because of who he's interacting with. So not only do people judge Jesus and say he's choosing the wrong people to hang out with, they also looked at what he did and said, clearly God's favor is not on him. He's not a prophet. He's not who he claims to be. Because if he was who he claimed to be, he would know that this person is not the kind of woman he should let touch his feet. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to be the God we expected. He came to be the Savior we needed. And over and over again, if we get in our own way, we're going to have this idea of what God should be. There's a point, there's a reason that God there, that's a lowercase g. Because anytime it's our idea of God or our expectations or our created idea of who God should be or what he should do, it's a lowercase g. But when we look at Scripture and understand who God is from Scripture and what Jesus did in his life and who he is, then we understand the Savior that we need. And in both of these instances with Zacchaeus and the woman, he was showing up in a way to say, I'm not just going to be the cool kid you want me to be. I'm not just going to hang out with the people who are the leaders or the the smartest people or whatever. I'm going to show up and anybody can come and worship me. Anybody can come and be saved through my blood even though we might put a category on him and say he shouldn't go near some of these people that he decided to do life with. And here's what I've come to learn, right, in life. When Jesus doesn't meet your expectations, expect something even greater. The people didn't get it, right? The disciples didn't want Jesus to go to the cross, That wasn't their expectation. Their expectation when they decided to follow Jesus was that Jesus was going to overthrow the government they didn't like. And they were going to ride in and they were going to win the battle and they were going to take over and the nation of Israel would be freed and they would be good to go. And all of a sudden, in a few short years, Jesus is hanging on a cross and they all go, what just happened? That's not what we thought we needed. But there was something greater that Jesus would die and then rise again and then offer salvation, not only to them, but to anybody that would believe in the time after. When he doesn't meet expectations, your expectations, expect something even greater. When he doesn't answer the prayer request that you wanted answered a certain way, expect something even better. When he doesn't change the situation that you think he should change, expect something even greater. Because if he's moving in it, it's going to be even better than what we expected. I want to go back to verses 49 to 51 one more time in Luke 2 This is Jesus's response to Mary's question, right? Why did you do this to us? And then he says, "But why did you need to search?" he asked. Interesting question. "Why didn't you know where I was? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house?" But they didn't understand what that meant. Here's another cool thing, right? You you don't have to understand. We don't have to understand. It's okay to say, I don't understand what God is doing. But he says, didn't you know where I must be? And, and here's the last thing I would say, is that those who know where to search find hope in hopeless times. We're all going to go through times that feel hopeless, situations that feel hopeless, relationships that feel hopeless, different things like that, right? There's a, that we're going to hit a moment where that's how it feels. So where do we go in those moments? If we don't have anywhere to go or we don't have anywhere to, anyone to trust or whatever, however you want to say it, like we're going to feel like that hopelessness is going to continue. But if we know where to look and where to find Jesus, we're going to find hope in that. And just look at the example of Mary, right? Why'd you do this, Jesus? We don't always know why he's going to do what he's going to do. Didn't you know where to look? No, we didn't know necessarily. Like, We missed it. But how do we find it? How do we find Jesus? My hope would be that we would be people that in those moments that feel hopeless, seek Jesus. Do what Mary and Joseph did. What is Jesus doing in this moment that I have to understand? And even for other people, like walking with people you know through hopeless situations, what do we do with that? How do we show them Jesus? Because we know Jesus where he is. I want to I want to introduce something that's going to be um, a little bit of I want to keep we're going to keep reminding you of it at least until Easter. And one of the things I think would be super helpful in this idea of wanting to be hopeful people of of wanting hope to be something that we exude to others is a a daily reminder and a daily prayer to be doing that. And so I'm I'm putting this out there this is this is what I want to challenge you to do, okay? I'm calling this praying for at 4.15, all right? So here's the challenge, that you would put an alarm in your calendar on your phone, or you would set your alarm clock at home, or you would set some sort of reminder to go off at 4.15. I will be doing this at 4.15 p.m. If you want to do it at 4.15 a.m., more power to you, okay? Here's the idea, that we would be setting this alarm to just say a prayer daily, And there's four things I would want us to pray about. Here's the first thing. For one person to decide to follow Jesus. And this doesn't mean just a blanket statement. Like, God, I pray someone today, somewhere would follow Jesus. No, like, pick a person you know who doesn't know Jesus by name and pray for them every day. And pray that God would give you the opportunity maybe to have a conversation with them about what it means to follow Jesus. So once a day, you just stop and pray for them. Here's the second thing. For GFC, for Grace Family Church, to be unified as one. That we would be a church that loves one another and encourages one another and doesn't allow disagreements to get in the way, and we would be wanting to build one another up, and we would be one in our mission and our goals for the year. The third thing, for God to grow you one step closer to him. So this is another spot where you have to do a little work internally and go, what's one thing you want to get better at? What's one way you need to grow? It could be in loving people and being faithful and being patient and being kind. Like, what's something that you want God to grow you in? And here's the fourth thing, for hope to be the number one thing people see in us because of Jesus. Not just because we're good people, quote unquote, right? But because we know Jesus, because we know where to find the hope, because we have experienced that hope in hopeless situations, and we know how to hand that to somebody else. And I think it would be so cool, right, if we do this for a while and we can look back at some point and just say, look at what God did, right? Look at the relationship that changed between me and that person. Or Look at how I've grown so far. Or Look at the way that I've been able to see us unify or whatever it might be. And just stopping at one time during the day to take up three minutes maybe to just pray and just say, this is what we're going to be focused on. There are people, maybe in this room or outside this room, they're just walking through hopeless times. And we're the ones who know where to find Jesus. And we're the ones that are supposed to introduce them to him if they don't know him. So my hope and my prayer is that this year we would be people who are hopeful and who can share with other people how to find Jesus in hopeless times as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story of Uh, Mary and Joseph and the way that it helps us at least feel like we don't have to have it all together. Um, Even the people that you chose to take care of your son made mistakes and didn't know what to do at times as parents. And God, we ask that you would use us to be people who in our own hopeless times that we would seek you and that when we get to interact with other people who might be walking through something that feels hopeless, we would be available and working to help them understand who you are. And I pray that this idea of just praying at four fifteen every day would be something that we would just commit to and that it would just be a good reminder of us or rem- reminder to us and that we would be able to see you work in our hearts and in other people's hearts because of it. And God, we ask simply that as we interact with people this year and we learn more about who you are and the hope you offer, that it would just become clear to others the hope that we have because we know you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I think I'd like to offer a suggestion for Mary and Joseph's title for their parenting book: "How to Raise a Know It All Child." <laughs> Seriously, when you, when you when you think about that whole situation, and you can you hear the desperation in Mary's voice when they—I mean—I had not thought through, calculated those days the amount of time that was in there that they had lost him, and and you can imagine as as a parent desperate you would be at that point. And then as as Pastor Corey said to think, alright we were entrusted with the Son of God and we've lost him. And when she says, why have you done this to us? And then he responds and then she's got to think, right, he, he was right. We were wrong. Maybe we shouldn't have even been in the caravan. Maybe we should have understood that he should have been here and that's where we should have been as well. And there's a reality in this for us as we, we step back and look. Christ is always at the right place at the right time and when we follow him when we're in tune with him we're always going to be in the right place at the right time as well and if we get out of the right place in the wrong place it's because we lost track of him and not because he's at the wrong place